Yeah, so this morning we're uh, continuing uh, our series, as John said, about resembling God. Uh, and the title, um, as Sheila said, was uh, it's, it's Be Holy. Be Holy. So a couple of times that I spoke ago, it was uh, Rejoice Always, and that was a fairly high bar. So uh, Be Holy is sort of, you know, raised even further, but there we go. Um, but be holy. And we're going to continue in uh, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, um, and we're starting at verse 13 through to verse 16 today. So if you want to follow with me, please, please feel free to do so. So verse 13, this is what it says. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So what is holiness? I mean, uh, Sheila, I was really, really relieved when Sheila said, I've, I've got the definition of holiness, I'm going to tell you. Because I was like, great, because I'm not really sure. No, no I, I, but, but it is a difficult word, because it's not often used in our, in our world these days, is it? You don't often hear people use the word holy. And when I started looking into how do you define holiness, what is the word holy, what does it mean? Unfortunately, it's full of other Christian words that, again, seem to have no relevance to a lot of the world today, things like sanctification and um, uh, things like that, things that, words that perhaps we don't often use. But I've tried to sort of um, whittle it down into a nutshell, and this is what I've got. Um, to be set free from sin, to be set apart for God's purposes and pleasure, and to live differently from, uh, the, other, for the, from the world, but to live as God instructs us. Okay? So it's to be set apart for God, to be uh, holy for God. That's what holiness means. But also, holy is a characteristic of God. It's who God is. Just like God is love and God is just, God is holy. It's, what ma- it's part of his character. It's part of who he is. And so we're going to start this morning at the end of the passage in verse 15 and 16 where it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Um, that's a tall order, isn't it? Be holy as God is holy. That, that's a high bar to reach. Um, when I was writing this, I was thinking about my son, Zach, and um, he's at that really nice stage at the moment where he wants to be like his dad. Okay? So when I'm mowing the lawn, he's got this little lawnmower that he trundles along behind me, following me with this, this lawnmower. When I'm driving the car, he's got this paper plate that he uses behind me in the car to practice steering and, and, and following me. When we're cooking, he wants to be involved and tipping things and uh, weighing things and, and all the rest of it. He wants to be involved in my life. He wants to, he's infatuated with the way that I am. And it's an image of how we're meant to be with the Father. We're going to be infatuated with who he is and how he lives and how he works. We're to be wanting to watch him and see him and and follow him in everything that that we do. And so when we talk about being holy as God is holy, that's exactly what it means. to, To follow God and see how he is and want to be like he is in his holiness. I wonder whether 
you've asked yourself the question then, well, how can I be holy? It's not like I can just turn it on in my character. It's not like I can just be like God straight away and flip a switch and there we go, I'm, I'm holy. It's not like that. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, I don't know whether your parents have ever said this to you, grow up. You've got to shake your head with a bit of frustration when you say it. Just grow up. I've heard my parents say that before. What are, you, what are the parents expecting to happen? Are they expecting to stand there and go, you're going to grow to six foot tall and get a job within the next 20 minutes? That doesn't happen, does it? It's not really what they're saying. What they're implying is, change your attitude to this, to this situation, to this circumstance. Have a grown-up attitude in this, in this situation. Mature. And you know, that's, that's how character is grown. Character doesn't start as character. It starts as the attitudes that we adopt, the attitudes that we allow to change our lifestyle, and they mature into character. So you, you look at someone and you describe someone, take Donovan, for example. You might describe Donovan as shaking his head. You might describe Donovan as, as mature uh, or, or something of that sort of nature. And you might say, that, that's part of Donovan's character. Donovan is a mature person. But he didn't start out like that, I don't think. No. He didn't start out like that. (laughs) He didn't start out like that. He adopted mature attitudes as he grew. And as he adopted those attitudes, and those attitudes affected his lifestyle, they matured into his character. They became part of his character, of who he is. And so when, when Peter writes, be holy, it's like saying grow up. It's saying... Adopt these attitudes of holiness so that they will mature into holiness of our character. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at um, some key attitudes that Peter highlights, that he wants some holy attitudes that we can apply into our life. And here's the point, that we can apply them straight away. We don't have to wait. Like character, character takes time to mature. But attitudes, we can put attitudes into practice today so that our, our character starts to grow. And so this morning we're going to look at two, two key points uh, of, of this passage. And the first is having a holy mindset. Having a holy mindset. The second is when it all goes wrong. Okay? So the first one is having a holy mindset. So read with me again verse 13. That's what it says. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You know, the war for our hearts happens in our minds. That's where it happens. The war for our hearts happens in our minds, and that is where the war is won or it's lost. It happens up here. Uh, And if we want holy attitudes in our lifestyle, then they have to be first established in our mind. Our mindset is really important in the Christian faith. And the emphasis in the verse that we've looked at, just the verse 13, is that it's, it's about pl- applying holy mindsets and not just doing it once, but doing it daily, every day that we live. We put in practice the, these mindsets. Peter writes about three attitudes in, the, in this verse that we need to put into practice in our mind. He talks about preparation. He says, think clearly, or in some translations it says, prepare your mind. He says... He talks about self-control, exercise self-control. And he talks about focus, look forward to the grace of Jesus Christ. 
We understand, let's talk about preparation. We understand the need to prepare. We prepare every morning, don't we? Every time we get up, it's, it's the first thing that we do in, in our day. We, we, we get up and we have a wash and we, we get dressed and we have breakfast and we get ready for work or for school or for wherever we're going. We prepare for the day. We understand the need to do that and yet for some reason we, we often neglect to prepare spiritually. We often think that that isn't something that, that needs to take a portion of our time in the morning before we start in the day. And yet we wouldn't dream of going to work without any clothes on. We wouldn't dream of going to work unprepared or, or to, to go out without having done the first preparation in the day. We need to make sure that we're not neglecting to prepare spiritually as well. Ephesians 6 uh, verse 11 to 13 says, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. We need to make sure that we don't neglect our preparation. Prepare in the morning. Prepare before you start the day. It's really, really important. I, I, I thoroughly believe this. That st- preparing before you go out into the world, before you start your day, is really important. Spend time with God. There's no substitute for doing that. Study His Word. There's no substitute for that. Spend time listening to God and hearing what He's saying to you through His Holy Spirit. There's no substitute for those things, those preparations. If we want to have a holy attitude and we want those attitudes to take root, we have to have preparation in our mind. Secondly, he talks about self-control. Peter tells, tells us to exercise self-control. Some of you might say, I can't be self-controlled. I'm not a very self-controlled person. It's not something that God gifted me with. You know what? We are all capable of cultivating a lifestyle of self-control. This is what Galatians 5, 22-23 says. But the Holy Spirit produces this, this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. If you are a Christian today, if you know Jesus, then the Holy Spirit lives within you. That's what his word says. And if the Holy Spirit lives within you, then the Holy Spirit can cultivate self-control within your lives. But like any fruit, it's only ever any good if you pick it and use it. And it's the same with self-control. If we pick it and use it, then it's encouraging growth and multiplication in our life. If we just let it rot and die on the tree, then uh, it doesn't change at all. And we feel like we haven't got any self-control. We have to grasp that promise that the Holy Spirit can produce self-control in our lives. But maybe you say, I don't like self-control. It feels like a burden to me. But self-control actually is a gift. It's not a burden. Self-control is proof of God's love for you and me. It's proof that he wants to be intimately involved in our lives on a day-to-day basis. The Bible says God disciplines the ones he loves. So if you're feeling the Holy Spirit disciplining you in your life and challenging you in your life, guess what? He loves you. God loves you and he wants the best for you. Perhaps you say, I don't need self-control. I'm I'm a Christian. I'm I'm free from law. I don't don't need self-control. It's not something I need to apply in my life. 
But you know, God's freedom and self-control, they go hand in hand with one another. They go in context with one another. Um, the Corinthians were saying a similar thing. They were saying, I don't need God's, God's self-control because we're free from law. That's, that's the point of believing in Jesus. And, and, and Paul writes, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. The way we exercise self-control, yes, is first that we accept the freedom of following Jesus. But secondly, we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and show us the, the aspects of that freedom that need, need self-control. Let me give you an example. For me, um, one of the things that the Holy Spirit has said to me is that um, it's not good for you to listen to a lot of, of personal music. Okay? That's what he said to me. And so um, you won't find any personal music on my phone or in my car or on my laptop. It's something that the Holy Spirit particularly has said to me because he said, when you listen to a lot of music, it fills your head with lots of words and, and you can't hear God clearly. You can't hear what he's saying to you in your life. And so I don't listen to music. That's, that's a piece of self-control that the Holy Spirit's said to me. Now that doesn't mean that I can hold that up and say, therefore everyone must not listen to music. It's not God's law. It's God's self-control for me individually because he loves me and he wants the best for me. For some other people, that won't be a problem. That won't be an issue. That's a freedom that God says you can use and you can enjoy and, and let it bless you. But for me particularly, God said, that's not what's best for you. And that's what, hell, uh, what, that's what holy, the Holy Spirit's self-control looks like in our lives. It's a tailor-made uh, fit for each individual person, because God loves us individually and wants to be with us individually. And finally, he talks about focus. He says, uh, at the back end of verse 13, he says, look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Peter calls us to continue looking forward to the grace of Jesus. And to remain focused on Jesus, it means that you've got to follow where Jesus will lead you. And when you follow where Jesus leads you, more times than not, he'll take you somewhere that perhaps you don't think you want to go. He might take you somewhere where it's quite uncomfortable. Putting our focus on Jesus can mean that he leads us to uncomfortable situations and uncomfortable places. A bit like Daniel uh, and his food situation. It probably wasn't comfortable for Daniel uh, and his friends to, to stand up and say, to be counted and say, we're called to be different, we're called to be set apart, a holy people. Um, we're not going to be eating the king's food. The king had the power of life and death in his hands for, for Daniel and his friends. And yet, that's where God had led him to go. That's where God had told him to be. But you know, Jesus also loves to build our trust. Even though we have to put our trust in Jesus, you might only have a small bit of trust to put in him. I was thinking about the story of when Jesus walks on the water and he walks towards his disciples in the boat and there's 12 of these disciples in the boat, there's a storm going on and they see Jesus coming towards them and they think, oh no, it's a ghost. And then they eventually realize that it's not a ghost, Jesus calls out to them and calms them down. And then Peter, the same guy who's writing this letter, Peter says, Lord, can I come to you? I want to walk on the water with you. And he says, yes, come. And Peter walks and then, you know the story, he, he, he takes his eyes off Jesus and sees his surroundings and panics and takes his faith away and starts to sink. Uh, and Peter grabs hold of him and says, why did you doubt? But the thing that struck me about that story while I was preparing this was that there were 11 other people in that boat. Eleven other people who didn't trust Jesus enough or have enough faith in Jesus to want to step out and walk on that water. And yet, 
10 of those 11 people went on to die martyrs' deaths. 10 out of 11 of those people decided that they would give their life for believing in Jesus. So there must have been a change between that incident with the boat and them at the end of their lives. There must have been a growing in trust and in faith. Jesus doesn't need us to to fake the amount of trust that we have in him. He can take the small amount that we give him and he can grow it as we keep our focus on him. I want to tell you a story that happened to me this week. I was in Germany this week um, at the start of the week. I flew over on Monday for a meeting and I was flying back early Tuesday morning uh, and I was in a a place called Leipzig. Uh, That was where the airport was and I was flying from there to Frankfurt first and then from Frankfurt to Birmingham uh, on Tuesday morning. And the the flight from Leipzig to to Frankfurt is about an hour long and then the second flight was about, about two hours long. So I got up early mornings and uh, went to the airport and, and eventually got onto the plane and the airport did his usual spiel of uh, our welcome to the airline, we hope you have a comfortable flight, these are the weather conditions, this is how long it's going to take. And then we were off down the runday, runway and we, we took off. And, and some of you who, who know me well will know that um, I actually don't find it particularly comfortable going on planes. I've got a bit better over, over this last 18 months, I've done flying quite a lot over that period of time, but, but I don't find it the easiest. Well, I tell you, this flight was the roughest flight I have been on for, for a long time. It was bumpy, it was, you know, sort of jumping and dropping, lots of turbulence. There was, and, and then to make matters worse, we were in the plane and everything was rattling and shaking and vibrating. You think, this doesn't sound good, this isn't good. I say, oh, Jesus, you know, I, I really don't want to die today. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you'd get me home. Um, this, this is really important to me. Anyway... Obviously, we did make it to Frankfurt Airport, and um, we landed, and Frankfurt Airport is a big airport, so what they sometimes do is they park planes, a bit like a car park, on the tarmac, and they send a, a shuttle bus over to take you from the airplane to, to the terminal. So they sent this bus, and I got on this bus, and uh, we started traveling back towards the, to the terminal, and as I got off the plane, I remember thinking to myself, oh, I'm glad that is over. I'm glad that's over. I'm glad that um, I'm not going to be flying on this plane again. Um, the next plane is going to be much better. Uh, that's great. So I walk down. I get on this, this, this shuttle bus, and they take me towards the terminal. And while we're on this journey to the terminal, we're passing this really interesting row of planes. That's really interesting getting into the terminal. I then wander through the terminal and find my next gate, boarding gate. And um, about 20 minutes later, we're boarding onto the next flight. And after I get through the gate, I get back onto another bus. Okay, we start driving on this bus, and I'm looking out the window, and there's this row of really interesting planes, and I'm looking at this row and thinking, oh, that's funny, they seem familiar, those planes do. So I carry on driving, and they pull up outside this plane, and I look at the plane, and I think, that's funny, that plane looks familiar. And I walk up onto the plane, and I look at the face of the the air uh, stewardess who's who's welcoming us onto the plane, her face looks familiar, and I walk down into the plane to find my seat, and I look at my seat, and I say, oh, that, that seat looks familiar. I was going to spend the next two hours on the same plane, in the same seat, going from Frankfurt to Birmingham, that I just spent going from Leipzig to Frankfurt. I couldn't believe it. It was, uh, it was still a bumpy ride, and, and uh, all the way from Frankfurt to Birmingham. Uh, but it made me smile because it made me think that sometimes God will take us to uncomfortable places to grow our trust. And sometimes he'll keep us there for a period of time, even though we don't want to be there. 
even though we don't want to be there. When we focus on Jesus, he will do that. While I was away in Germany, I read this book. Nevertheless, I don't know whether any of the rest of you have read it, uh, but it's written by John uh, Kirkby, who, who was the uh, founder of CAP, uh, Christians Against Poverty. Um, there's also some extracts from, from some other people in there, but I have to say, I, I challenge you to read it. It's an incredibly challenging book, an incredibly challenging book of how God can work but it's also challenging because not one moment through the whole story of this book does God let John feel comfortable. It is not a comfortable journey. It's a journey where John grows in faith, is encouraged by God, becomes a Christian, and then starts this, this uh, cap charity. But it is not a comfortable journey. I really challenge you to read it. And like my playing experience, Jesus will keep us sometimes in that uncomfortable scenario so that we'll grow. So we daily need to focus on Jesus. We daily need to have that focus, allowing him to build the trust we have in him so that we can follow him. So we've talked about mindsets. We've talked about three areas that Peter calls us to have a different mindset, a holy mindset. Um, We've talked about being prepared. We've talked about self-control. We've talked about preparation. Secondly, I want to go on to... What happens when it all goes wrong? What happens when we strive to be holy? We strive to put these things in place and we slip back. It says in verse 14, it says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Peter encourages us not to slip back, but that hasn't been my experience in my life. My experience is that I have slipped back on occasion. I have slipped back. And maybe like you, maybe like me, you feel the same way. Maybe you have got experiences in your life where you have slipped back, where you, you have uh, had to deal with that. But this morning, I want to share with you some of the challenges that God has given to me personally about that. Because I believe that God has said to me, you don't have to slip back. That I can equip you to not slip back. I've given you my Holy Spirit, and I want to show you how the Holy Spirit can equip you to to not slip back. And so we're going to look at three simple questions. What is slipping back? Why do we slip back? And how do we prevent slipping back? So first of all, what is slipping back? Slipping back is not just making a mistake. It's not just getting something wrong and saying, God, I, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Slipping back is when we revert to a former lifestyle instead of the holy lifestyle that that God wants to give us. That's what slipping back is. So it's slipping back into a former lifestyle from the holy lifestyle that God wants us to be living. And generally, I think there are two lifestyles that we slip back into. The first one is really quite obvious. The first one is a a lifestyle of sin, and the the characteristics of a lifestyle of of sin are, are this, when we slip back into it. It's, this is where we perhaps slip back into um, old sins and addictions. Um, we start to prefer the things of this world, um, things that the world can offer us, like money or uh, status or power or um, a full sense of security. Um, we start to see faith in Jesus as a burden. Uh, we might start to feel dirty, guilty, and ashamed, and that. No amount of cleaning will ever get us clean again. And often we we perhaps feel defeated. And that's what it can look like when we slip back into a lifestyle of sin, a lifestyle of this world. But I want to tell you that there is another lifestyle that we need to be 
we need to be aware of. And it's much more subtle, but it's just as dangerous. And it's a lifestyle of law. Uh, And this is what Paul says about it in uh, Galatians chapter 5. He says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting that circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Having a lifestyle of the law or falling into it, slipping back into it, this is where we step back into trying to earn our salvation through the things that we do, through our obedience. Where we think, I need to achieve in order to be accepted. We feel that we're not good enough to be accepted back, to be forgiven. And we feel like a failure. Both of those lifestyles, both a lifestyle of sin and a lifestyle of law, they fall short of what God wants for you and me in our lives. They fall short of it. So why do we slip back? Well, we can slip back, firstly, because of poor foundations. Matthew 7, it says, uh, Jesus says, Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who built a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus said that storms will come in our lives. They might come in the form of grievance or death of a loved one or money problems or marriage problems or job problems. They all might take different shapes and sizes, but they will all come at some point. And if our foundation isn't built on Jesus, on his teachings, on obeying his teachings and putting them into practice... He says, your foundations will fail. It'll rock your house and your house will collapse. So sometimes we slip back because our house, our lives are built on poor foundations. And sometimes we slip back because we look back. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Mark Gibbons told us, told us the story in the service. And the story was about Abraham and how he um, uh, almost bartered with God about um, the... the, the uh, fate of Sodom and Gomorrah and the people down there and how he uh, said to God oh, if you could, eventually if you could just find 10 good people 10 people who love you and hold you as Lord would you, would you, save, would you save that place and God said yes well the next part of that story um, you can find it in Genesis chapter 19 and I'll do a very abbreviated version of it but the next part of that story is that God sends two angels into Sodom and Gomorrah to scope it out and see what the state of affairs are actually in that place uh, and they meet Lot uh, and his family, um, and they basically find that the place is, is not a good place. Um, and eventually, that's probably the understatement of the century, actually. You should probably read the chapter. But um, essentially, uh, the angels help Lot and his family, for the sake of Abraham, they help Lot and his family escape from, from that place. And they say, run that way uh, and run to this village, um, and when you get there, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what they say is they give, they give Lot and his family an instruction. They say, don't look back 
Don't look back because you will be caught up in God's destruction of this place if you look back. But keep your eyes focused on that direction. And Lot's wife looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. She was destroyed. She looked back at the sin of that place and she was destroyed. And sometimes we, we slip back into our old way of living because we're constantly looking backwards, scared that the sins of, of our past are going to catch up with us. But you know what? We're not designed to look, to walk backwards. We're not designed to walk backwards. And eventually we stumble and we fall because we're more concerned with what's behind us, what's happened, than we are with focusing on Jesus who's in front of us. So we slip back because, possibly because of poor foundations. We slip back because we look back. So how do we prevent slipping back? Three things we can apply in our lives. Firstly, know the truth. And the truth is that uh, Jesus isn't intimidated or shocked by our failure. We're shocked by our failure. We're shocked when we, we do something wrong or we get it wrong or we slip back. But, but Jesus isn't shocked by it. I was listening to uh, a good friend of mine speaking, um, and he was talking about Peter, and he was talking about how God uses uh, failures and how we shouldn't waste our failures. And this is, I, I heard him say this, and I thought, I've got to write this down and share this with you this morning. This is what he said. We're shocked when we fail, but Jesus isn't shocked. Jesus doesn't stand there going, what did you do? Didn't see that one coming. If I'd known you would have do, done that, I'd have never have called you. No, when, when he called you, he priced in your failure. He priced in your failure even before he called you. When he died on the cross, he died for everything in the past, everything in the present, everything in the future. When he calls you, he knows your greatest weakness and anticipates your greatest failure. He bought the whole package. He bought all of you. And knowing Peter would fail, Jesus called him. And knowing you will fail, Jesus calls you. But the key is not to waste your failures. And if we want to avoid slipping back, we need to apply that into our lives. The truth that Jesus isn't shocked or intimidated by our failures. He's costed those in when he died on the cross. But it's how we respond to our failures that matter. The second thing we need to do is to address our foundations. We need to address our foundations. Uh, while I was preparing this, I went on a walk around uh, Brosley, which is where we live. And in Brosley, at the moment, they've got a... a, a, a they're building some new houses. Uh, and on this building site, um, when they started to build, they found that there was a, a bad portion of land at the bottom corner of this, of, of this area of building. And they dug it out and they found this massive amount of standing water that was no good for building on whatsoever. And they seemed to have put some sort of pump in there. They tried pumping the water out. But no matter what they did, they didn't seem to be able to get rid of this of this water. So eventually what they did was they filled it all back in with, with dirt and uh, gravel and all those sorts of things. But then the water started to rise to the top. And even now, if you drive past it, there's this big amount of standing water on, on that land. And God said to me, you know, that's a bit like your life, James, sometimes. Sometimes there are things in your life, there are parts of your house that you have built 
on land that no matter how much gravel you put in there, no matter how much you try and cover it over and make it rock, it will never be good building ground. It will never be good building ground. And, and God challenged me that sometimes I needed to knock down part of my house and rebuild it uh, on, on Jesus. Sometimes we can, as Christians, I've been a Christian now for, for 17 years, and sometimes we can get into this way of thinking that says, oh, I've been a Christian for so long, and people know that I've been a Christian for so long, therefore I can't possibly have any issues. I can't possibly be seen to not have it all together. I can't possibly be seen to have any of my house built on dodgy ground. But I want to encourage you this morning, you can. You can have it, you can afford to have it not all together. You can afford to have it that Jesus says, that bit of your life, James, it needs to be adjusted. You need to knock that bit of the house down and rebuild it somewhere else. That's okay. That's okay. We don't have to have it all together because Jesus is holding us, right? Jesus' grace is enough for us. Yeah? So I want to tell you, address your foundations. There's no shame in doing that. There's only a problem when we glaze over it. There's only a problem when we say, I don't want to see that. I don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to leave it there. But when we address it, then that's holy living. That's saying to Jesus, I want you to address my lifestyle and help me become holy. And thirdly, I want to talk about confession. Using confession to keep looking forward. You know, confession, it's a gift to us confession is. It's not for God's benefit. God already knows what we've done wrong. There's no secrets there. But it's for our benefit to be able to confess things to God. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. God is faithful to forgive us. If you want to stop looking behind your shoulder at the sins of your past, it's really simple. Just confess your sins to Jesus. He'll deal with them. He promises he'll deal with them. And then you can stop looking behind you because Jesus has dealt with them at the foot of the cross. And you can look forward to Jesus. You can have your focus on him. That's what having a holy lifestyle is about. It's accepting your faith in Jesus and accepting that by having faith in Jesus, he deals with our sin. So how do we prevent slipping back? We know the truth that Jesus isn't surprised by our failures and that we can deal with them. We address our foundations. There's no shame in doing that. And we confess our sins. We keep a short list with Jesus. We continuously, daily confess to him so that uh, we can keep looking forward and keep moving forward. I want to finish with this verse from Hebrews 10, uh, verse 14. It says, For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. For by the one offering, for that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And just to finish by saying, what we're not talking about this morning is your ability to be perfect. We're not talking about your ability to go through life and never get anything wrong. We're not talking about walking on eggshells. Because Jesus made you perfect by his death and resurrection and by us having our faith in him. That's how we're made perfect. And that God continues his commitment to make us holy in the process of walking with him. That's his commitment to us. Let's pray and then I'm going to hand, hand back over to, John, to the band. To the band. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you that you are holy. 
Thank you that you uh, are a father that we can look up to, we can admire, we can be infatuated with. You're a father who we want to be like in the work that you do, but also in the way that you live and the way that you are. And Jesus, as we've talked about being holy today, I pray that you'd, you'd infuse our minds with these mindsets that we've talked about. You'd help us to prepare our mind on a daily basis, applying self-control and applying our focus on you, Jesus, and the grace that you extend to us through your death and your resurrection. And we thank you that you're not shocked when we slip back. You're not shocked when we, when we fail. You've costed that in, Jesus. And we thank you that you've given us the tools to be able to, to prevent that happening again, that we can rely on you to build our foundations in our lives. We can rely on you to be faithful, to forgive our sins when we confess them. Jesus, we thank you that you made us perfect through your sacrifice and that being holy is a journey that you're willing to walk with us on. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would continue to be faithful to walk with us as well. Amen.